Welcome to Verse by Verse, the teaching ministry of Pastor John Reed from Calvary Chapel, Northwest Reno. You'll want to grab your Bible and follow along, verse by verse, with Pastor John. Number one, the Holy Spirit can be with you. And if you search the scriptures, you'll find these. The Holy Spirit can be with you. He can walk with you. He can pull you to Christ. He can convict you. He can be in your life like footprints, right? With me, carrying me. Then when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes in you, inside of you. Then when you open yourself to the Spirit and you want to serve Him and give your life over to Him and witness for Him, He can come upon you. And you do a little search in the Scriptures and you'll see this. The Spirit with us, the Spirit in us, and the Spirit upon us. So when you get baptized, hopefully you close your mouth and hold your nose or that water's going to get inside and drown you, right? Baptism's on the outside. Even so it is with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He comes on the outside. It is an anointing, a mantle, a presence, a power for a purpose to serve, to witness to live the Christian life. So Jesus told us, I'm sending him to you. Verse 6, So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? You know, is the kingdom going to come? Are we going to take over this place? Are we going to push out our enemies and destroy the Romans? Has the kingdom finally come? No, not yet. That's the second coming. Verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. You know, you're not to know when the rapture happens. You're not to know the second coming. The Father has a plan. Not even the Son knows. It's a secret. Is Jesus coming tonight? Is he coming a year from now? Nobody knows. And you have all these prophets, right? And they say, I've predicted it. I figured the calculations. He's coming, you know, on this date. No, nobody knows when he's coming. That's very dangerous to think you know when only the Father knows. We prepare for Christ's rapture, the rapture of the church. Verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. When the Spirit comes upon, he gives power. So later, do a little study and read when Jesus is resurrected. He comes to the disciples. He breathes on them. He gives the Holy Spirit inside of them. And now we're going to see later 
the Spirit's going to come upon. So separate experiences. And why does the Holy Spirit come upon someone in addition to being in them? To give them power to be a witness. You ever find sometimes it's hard to be a witness? It's hard to serve the Lord. It's hard to bring someone to church. It's hard to evangelize someone. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. We need God's supernatural power to be effective and to reach the world. I mean, look at the ministry of Christ. He didn't have radio and TV and flyers and social media. He didn't have all this technology. But you know what he had? He had the power of the Holy Spirit upon him. Do you know when that happened? At his baptism. When he came out of the water, it said the Holy Spirit possessed a dove, a real dove, and it landed on him. And when it touched him, power came upon him. And John the Baptist said, I saw it. I experienced it. It was the power of God. Right before Jesus starts his ministry, the Holy Spirit comes upon. So I would profess to you that Jesus is an example Are you ready to serve the Lord? Are you ready to minister? If Jesus needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit, don't we? Now, some churches say, well, when the Spirit comes upon you, you know, you're going to roll in the aisles and speak in tongues and do cartwheels and, you know, just go bonkers. But can I say, I don't see that in Jesus' ministry. (laughs) I see when the Spirit comes upon him, power and supernatural and miracles and wonders and healings and deliverance and revelation and just the most powerful gifted ministries come when you have the power of the Spirit. And you're going to start from where you're at. Now, there in Jerusalem, there's about 120 faithful followers. And their ministry is going to start where they live, Jerusalem, the city. And then it's going to go to Judea, the region, Samaria, the next country, which is kind of pagan. Uh, They're half-breeds, half-Jews and uh, Gentiles to make Samaritans. And then it's going to go to the corners of the known world. And I believe this scripture is a summary of the book of Acts. It's going to start in Jerusalem. The next few chapters, God's power is going to descend. Pentecost happens in Jerusalem to the very first Christian church, which is in Jerusalem, Israel, and it is 100% Jewish. Go figure. You know, I witnessed to my Jewish friends, and they said, well, I can't become a Christian, John. I'm Jewish. Well, the first churches were Jewish. <laughs> first Christians were Jewish. Why can't you? <laughs> and it spreads to the ends of the earth and even comes to the new world. And here we are in Christian America. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. Stop staring. Didn't your parents ever tell you it's not polite to stare? (laughs) Verse 9. And after 
He had said these things. He was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Luke is retelling the great ascension from the Mount of Olives. He gathers his 120 faithful followers, and he is preaching, giving them final orders, the most important things you save for last, and then he is lifted up. He's taken to heaven. His glorified body starts to float and elevate, and he's taken in the clouds before their very eyes, out of their sight. Verse 10, And they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going. Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. Oh my gosh, I could still see him. He's almost gone. He's going up high. He's going back to his heavenly kingdom. And as they're distracted with Jesus' exit, in enters two holy angels, messengers from heaven. Verse 11, they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? Why are you staring so? He's gone. This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. The way he exited is the way he's going to enter again. Jesus is coming back. He's going to come in the clouds. This is the rapture. He's going to come halfway into the atmosphere, and he's going to be in the clouds, and he's going to snatch us up and grab us supernaturally so quick, so fast, in the twinkling of an eye. First, the dead Christians. Their graves will be broken open. Their tombs, their caskets, their ashes from wherever they've been spread in the ocean will form back together and the creator of the universe is going to recreate their body and make it supernatural and glorified and young and healthy and whole. No more sickness, no more pain, no more cancers and tumors. And they will meet him in the clouds first. Then the Christians that are alive will meet them second. So no Christian in the past will miss the rapture. Go figure. If you become a Christian after the rapture, I'm afraid you must go through the great tribulation for seven years. So just as he came in the clouds, or as he left in the clouds, he will come back in the clouds, and this is where we will meet him, in the rapture of the church. Now that's different. Everybody gets that confused with the second coming. The second coming, he lands on earth, he touches down, and he takes over. This is just kind of a U-turn, coming down, picking us up, and we're leaving this place. <laughs> and the Christians are waiting. It is our hope. It is our joy. It's our exit strategy. <laughs> and then we will come back with him. 
get ready to go when Jesus comes in the clouds. Quick, fast. You can't say, wait a minute, Jesus. I'll believe in you now. I'll receive you now. No, when we go, we go. And we ain't waiting. You ever drag your feet? You take too long? Uh, you know, I was on that uh, subway in New York. You know, hold the subway. Oh, no, those doors close automatic, and we're out of here. You either jump on, you're ready to go, or you're not. When we go, it's going to be fast. Pray for backup. Verse 12. Then they return to Jerusalem from the mound called Olivet, the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. Sabbath day journey is like less than half a mile. On Sabbath Saturday, you could not travel far. It was considered work. But the Mount of Olives is right next to Jerusalem. If you've been, I've been a couple times, it's a short walk, you know, minutes, less than an hour's walk. It's close. So it's time to go back home. Time to go where it all started back to Jerusalem. Verse 13. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. It could be the same upper room. The large upper room where they had the Last Supper where they had Passover with Jesus, where he broke the bread and he poured the wine and they sang and then they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. My suspicion is it's probably the same upper room. And here they are. We have the 11 faithful, the dirty dozen minus one. That is Peter, our leader, John, Jesus' closest disciple, and James, the completion of the three inner circle. Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, who writes a gospel, the tax collector, yes. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James, different than Judas Iscariot. The traitor is dead. Judas committed suicide. The church goes on without him. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. I think this is the last encounter with Mary. We never hear of her again. But she's part of the faithful, the 120. And with his brothers, Jesus did have brothers, and they became Christians, and they were very prominent in the church, especially his brother James. The faithful few... They're praying. They're waiting. It's like the police, you know, they call for backup when it's a crucial situation. Uh, one of my friends is Reno PD, police officer, and he's in this altercation, gangbangers, and they got guns, and he calls for backup, and he said it was getting hairy scary. 
And he said, oh, there was more of them than me, and they just need to pull out a gun and pop me. And they, as they were contemplating it, I could hear the sirens coming of the other police cars, and they were hesitant, and they ran. But he said, John, I don't know what I would have done if that was like, you know, 10 seconds later, I'll probably be dead. But backup had arrived. <laughs> so here's the Christian life, you know. It can be hard. It can be a struggle. God, I'm trying to serve you. I want to witness. I want my friends and family to come and know you. But it's not working. You got to call for backup. You got to get the help of the Holy Spirit. You got to get on your knees. Have you ever tried to do ministry, tried to maybe go on a mission trip, tried to serve in the church, do things for God, and it's hard and it's a struggle, and why isn't it working, and why are we not breaking through? I would say, because you got to pray. Well, I don't have time for that. I'm trying to hurry and do this ministry and do all this work. No, you got to be like Jesus and go away and pray. Go to the mountain and pray. Go by yourself and pray. And then after he'd pray, you would see the power of the Holy Spirit. You would see, you know, 10,000 fed with fishes and loaves. You'd see him go by himself to pray, and then you'd see him walking on the water. You'd see him in the mountaintop praying, and then he'd come down and cast out the demons and set souls free. So if you want to see the power, you got to pray. It's a humbling. It's a denying of yourself. It's a seeking God. God, you know, I want my family to be turned around. Then you got to pray. Submit. Give in. Say, Holy Spirit, I need you. You know, change this person. Yeah, you ever try to do that where you thought, I'm going to change this person? You know, if I marry them, I'll change them. If I work with them, uh, I'm going to change my kids. I don't think you could change them. But I know someone who can, the Holy Spirit. And if you pray, I've prayed for my enemies that I didn't want to, and I'd walk into work and I'd go, oh, my gosh, they're completely different. <laughs> it was the Holy Spirit to pray, to seek the Lord, to give it, to the Holy Spirit, to ask for his intervention. And can I tell you, the Holy Spirit is like oil. He can soften and he can anoint. The Holy Spirit is like a dove. He's gentle and soft and he's a gentleman and he won't burst into your life. You must invite him in. And I know some people and Christians have done crazy and strange things in the name of the Holy Spirit, and it causes others to think, wow, if that's the Holy Spirit, I don't know if I want him. He does get misrepresented. I think the Spirit is a spirit of order, of, of peace, of gentleness. If you look at the fruits of the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Not chaos and a circus and anarchy. Wait for the Spirit. Don't do it on your own. When you're doing something great for God, you better pray. First, 
not after the fact. I think of the verse Zechariah 4, 6, where God says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. We want to do good things, great things for God, but we can't do it in our flesh. We have to do it in the spirit. We got to follow the directions. We got to follow the road map. Do you ever get lost and you're like, oh, I don't need to see that map. I'm not going to stop and ask for directions. And then maybe after an hour, you're spinning your wheels, you know, going in circles. Okay, let's ask for help. <laughs> the same thing. We got to humble ourselves. Okay, Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say again? <laughs> Jesus said, wait. Jesus said, pray. And these 120 faithful followers. Now, can I tell you, many religions and cults have criticized Jesus because they say, oh, well, great. Look at the end of his ministry. Where is the masses? He's got 120 praying. What a failure. They don't get it. You just need a few amount of people and you need a big Holy Spirit. <laughs> and those 120 faithful followers that are praying, that are seeking, that are calling upon the Holy Spirit, they are going to turn the globe upside down. <laughs> a few people, a handful, but a gigantic, powerful, sovereign, omnipotent Holy Spirit. He is God, and he has all of God's attributes. Now, you might have sensed the Holy Spirit's been with you through many difficult times. That's awesome that you sense his conviction and his presence, and he's pulling you to Christ. Maybe the Holy Spirit has drawn you to church, but you must take the next step and invite the Holy Spirit into your heart to open the door, to say, Holy Spirit of God, come into my heart, come into my life. And that makes you born again. Because when the Holy Spirit of God moves into your soul, he rearranges and he changes things. He opens the windows. He throws out the trash. He empties the closets. And over time, he transforms your life. But then you must take the next step and say, Holy Spirit, I will sell out to you. I will give you all of me. I will be your witness. I will serve you. Then you need the power to serve. If you don't want to serve, then why do you need the power? <laughs> if you don't want to pray, if you don't want to witness, if you don't want to give, if you don't want to use your gifts. And when his power comes upon you, watch how God will use you. So we follow Jesus' directions. We pray and we wait upon the Holy Spirit. And we practice our faith with the Spirit. And we walk every day in the Spirit. And we put the Holy Spirit in charge of our life until Jesus returns. And we become led and directed and filled and empowered 
and baptized and equipped and we become gifted by his gifts, it's the Holy Spirit. Jesus's ending is our beginning. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray to you and we say, come, Spirit of God. As we're gathered in this place, we want to copy your faithful few, to call upon your name, to ask that you fill this place, that you descend upon us, that you come inside of us if we're not born again, if we're serious about serving you. We love you, Spirit of God, and we need you desperately as you represent Christ, his very presence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for supporting Verse by Verse, the teaching ministry of Pastor John Reed from Calvary Chapel, Northwest Reno at 246 Courtney Lane, Reno, Nevada, 89523. Our phone number is 775-746-4567 and our webpage is calvaryreno.com. You're always welcome to join our services.